From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. All right, so I'm just preparing you. It's a fantastic Friday. We've got a movie segment. We're going to discuss films and documentaries in the last half hour. We have a substitute producer who has the expressions of a cardboard cutout, so I'm not expecting the music to be that good. We will see what we can muster up. And the very first segment that I'm going to start with is not something you're ever supposed to talk about on radio. At least that's the advice I was given. But as you can tell, I'm not good at taking advice. Not at all. It's true. It's true. And um, I find this to be the greatest evil on the planet. And I mean that. And there's a lot of evil. I think we've got. We're surrounded by evil. And I understand, man, the inhumanity to man is really immeasurable. And just when you think you've seen it all, you haven't. And what we are capable of, especially in groups, is really astonishing to me. But since I was a kid, there has been one pervasive evil that I have been shocked by the amount of adults and people of uh, reputation and standing that have supported the absolute mayhem and slaughter of the most innocent among us, our babies. I remember growing up when I was young, uh, some of the Vietnam guys were still coming back, if you can believe that. I think the last one was 1972. I was a kid. But I remember when he got off the plane and kissed the ground, and I remember there were protesters, and they used to call our Vietnam veterans baby killers, and they would spit on them. And Roe v. Wade passed, and then all of a sudden it became okay. And uh, I find it to be disgusting. I really do. It, it, it goes untalked about too much, in my opinion. We pretend and we hide behind this word. Society has created this word that uh, I'm not quite sure is fitting. When I was a kid, too, the, the, the space race was uh, still going on, and there was a bunch of TV shows on about uh, I Dream of Genie and different space. Whenever the, there would be a problem with the rocket that was going to take off, they'd say, abort, abort. And that's how I first learned about the word. And then all of a sudden it meant kill your baby, kill your baby. And the more you found out about these abortion clinics, the more you realized they were intended to be evil, and not just because Marguerite Sanger was an absolute and total racist, which she was, spoke to the Ku Klux Klan. She was a real piece of garbage. Um, she wrote, uh, she did some massive destruction to this country. But there's a statistic that I always find fascinating that most minorities are unaware of. We are now in this age when failed Democrat politicians who are qualified to do nothing throw a city into chaos and and, and just a bankruptcy and a calamity can point to a, um, a stranger and say, you know, the biggest problem in this country is systemic racism. But they never talk about the systemic racism in Planned Parenthood. Seventy nine percent of all Planned Parenthoods. That's 80. For those of you that went to CPS, that's a lot. Eight out of 10 are within walking distance to a minority neighborhood. That means black. That's how government says black. Eighty percent of Planned Parenthoods can be walked to. From terrible, terrible Democrat-built ghettos. And you think that the, the white Republican is the racist, huh? I think it's, it's, it's worked out exactly the way Sanger and the rest of the racists, like the one we have in, in the White House. You know, the one that palled around with the clans. Was he the Grand Poobah Wizard? Whatever the hell those inbred hillbillies call themselves. Robert Barrett, I'm speaking, a bird. And Joe, Joe Biden, close friend. And now he signs Juneteenth, and he looks dazed and confused, and he's the man of the hour, rather than the party that really represents a plot to control a voting block of people they have very little respect for. So yesterday, um, I can't feel my face, post-op Pelosi, was asked a question, and uh, here was her answer. The Supreme Court this fall will review a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Is an unborn baby at 15 weeks a human being? Let me just say that I'm a big supporter of Roe v. Wade. Uh, I am a mother of five children in six years. I think I have some standing on this issue as to respecting a woman's right to choose. Is it a human being? Yes. Yes, ma'am. She doesn't answer. Is it a human being? Because if you did answer it, it would be one evil son of a dog that would be able to kill their kid. I mean, um, 
I grew up in a neighborhood with some notable tough guys, some notable bad guys. And the reality is, um, I'm sure in that mix, I met some guys that were really, really mean, terrible people. I don't know a one of them that would have killed an innocent baby. In fact, when you uh, see all of these trials about organized crime and gangsters, I don't know how many of them kill babies. It takes a certain level of evil. And I guess you do it because you hide behind this word. Now, one party in particular has seized this su- supposed right when what it really is is a killing that, that law does not prosecute you for. That's what this really is. And yet none of these politicians who celebrate the ability for a mother to kill their kid, none of them want to talk about it. What the Catholic bishops have done, um, are you concerned about this rift within the Catholic Church, and are you concerned about this action? Say again? The Catholic bishops are going to ask this dummy twice. That would pre- prevent you and, and others who've um, supported abortion from receiving communion. Are you concerned about the rift in the Catholic Church, and how do you feel personally about that? That's a private matter, and I don't think that's going to happen. Thank you. And you know, um, to Diapers Biden's point, the Vatican just releases um, via thehill.com, the Vatican warns bishops not to deny communion to Biden and other politicians over abortion. And that's a whole hypocrisy of the most wealthy of all of the scam religions out there, the Catholic Church. I say this as a former Catholic, yet I recognize the hypocrisy long ago and denounced it. Very proud of that. Um, so the 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 so- socialist that runs the Catholic Church has just sent out a memo, do not dare think you can deny Nancy Pelosi or Biden on the grounds of abortion, so the Catholic Church is willing to accept it to a certain point. But are you? Are you willing to accept this? See, here's the real thing that uh, politicians don't want society to know. The vast majority of Americans, the vast majority, regardless of party, identify this as the greatest evil in society. The vast majority of, of people in America understand that the people that are committing these acts are doing so in a state of mind that they cannot understand the consequences of. That for the rest of the lives, the studies have been done, the women that actually do go forward and kill their kids have a very hard life. They live with a tremendous amount of guilt, depression, suicide, it's all up. But they are willing to still pretend that this is somehow a right. So the way that they do it is they strip away a face of the baby. They strip away the dignity and the life of the baby and the unalienable rights of that baby. And society has adopted this. So we've been doing this since 1973. We now are the year 2021 when the technology shows how much advancement we've made in identifying the fact that these Babies are alive and conscious from a very young age. And now we're simply trying to put a date on expiration where you can go ahead and whack it. I find it to be repulsive. And I find the politicians that do this to be the same politicians that have no problem controlling and destroying the lives of their fellow man. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it is a litmus test to the kind of people that you should never allow near the levers of power. And those are the people that are willing to sit idly by and promote the greatest evil on earth, and that's the death and destruction of the truly innocent, the babies. And the saddest part about all of this is no matter how I feel or you feel, we're all paying for this. Here in Illinois, we are the killing field. Illinois is where kids who don't have to, don't want to tell their parents and want to have abortions for free, and minorities from the worst sections of the city can go in and no questions are asked, and it's, it's, it's just, it's mayhem, it's murder. So I'm wondering, do you think it'll have blowback Or do you think enough Democrats want to hide themselves? You know, the way they hide themselves from the reality of all of these moronic policies, all of these infant, these just destructive to the future itself. That is truly the translation of a Democrat. It is more than the feudalism I talked about yesterday. It is the absence of a future. There is no tomorrow in the Democrat Party. Everything they do is about destroying it. So do you think that maybe if people understand at this level that it is a plot and that the systemic racism that so many Democrats rail against really lives in their policy, not just the ghettos that they build and force their constituents to live in, but the fact that eight out of ten, eight out of ten Planned Parenthoods are within walking distance to a minority neighborhood. You think maybe they'll catch on? 312-642-5600. Or are we going to lose this argument like we lose so many? 
that regardless of what the American people think, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. I'll take your calls and comments when I get back. So it's going to be reduced now. I mean, I understand. It's a rough topic, right? I mean, it's not something you hear normally. Drive time show. So it's going to be reduced. You know, that song wasn't bad, you cardboard cutout. Um, it'll be reduced to somebody's opinion, right? Oh, that guy thinks it's that, and that guy thinks it's that. This is not an issue of opinion. You're murdering an absolute defenseless human being. Wrong. I don't, it's not about my opinion. Oh, it's your opinion. No, no, no. It's not my opinion. It's murder. But what I've come to learn in all of my years of living in these ghetto sewers created by Democrats, they, they have no sense of right and wrong. Doesn't matter. There are an, there's an acceptable amount of murder and mayhem that goes on. In fact, we're going to get the statistics on Monday of the babies that somehow slipped through abortion, but yet were murdered in Chicago. So it was also brought to my attention by the cardboard cutout that my first clip due to me allegedly hitting the wrong button, I still think it was him, that you did not hear my Pelosi clip. So I want you to hear it now. The Supreme Court this fall will review a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Is an unborn baby at 15 weeks a human being? Let me just say that I'm a big supporter of Roe v. Wade. Uh, I am a mother of five children in six years. I think I have some standing on this issue as to respecting a woman's right to choose. Is it a human being? Yes. Yes, ma'am. That's Nancy Pelosi will not answer and hides behind a phony virtue shield of, hey, I let my kids live, but, hey, you want to whack yours, I have no problem with it. I don't think this is an opinion question. If, as a society, you cannot look at the murder of a baby as something wrong, then you're certainly not going to look at anything else that happens to adults of political parties as wrong, as far as I'm concerned. You'll justify anything. If that's your barometer, if you have no barometer that says, hey, maybe the kid shouldn't be killed. And in all this socialist society, how come there's no platform to buy the baby from the mother that doesn't want it? Why can't the baby... The, the mother turned the baby over to a firehouse and give her name and number, and we send her 30000 to have the baby and go about your way. I mean, maybe those kids would grow up and be important. I guess if they're not thought of as important, they're never really going to be important. Dave, down his grave. Dave, are you all right? Dave, apparently. No, I'm here. Hey, Sean. Go ahead. Sean, no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Hey, listen, Sean. Um, there's one statistic that you know no one talks about. It's that since legal abortion happened, uh, we've killed over 60 million babies. I'd like to know how many were minority babies, how many were Asian babies. You know, they like to, they like to divide up everyone. The percentages, like the percentages are very hard to get, depending on what side. I, I, I've tried to do it. The, uh, the reality is the most that they come up with is that between 27 and 36 percent are white, which means that the rest are minorities. So their plan and Mar- Marguerite Sanger's plan to eliminate minorities by telling them it was okay to kill their babies seems to have worked. And it, out of those 60 million, so you're talking what, 29 to 34 million are minorities, if not more? So, I mean, how could you go wrong? That's, that's a racist with vision. And I finally found somewhere in America where I, too, can see the systemic racism, and that's Planned Parenthood. Thank you, Dave, for the call. I really appreciate it. Let's go to Teresa on the north side. Hey, Sean. Um, you know, I've always been against abortion. I think it's murder of an innocent little life who has no voice. That little baby has every right to their chance at life. But um, unfortunately, I don't see abortion being overturned anytime soon. I wish it would, but I don't see it happening right now. If 70% of Americans are against it, which is the, which is the latest statistic, 7 out of 10, yet the minority has the levers of power, then you're right. But the reality is, yeah. if these, these, these fascists calling themselves Democrats were really interested in the mobocracy they promote when they say democracy, this is easy. This is a layup. Seven out of ten say, let's get rid of it. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's truly the end of vision. When you are so short-sighted to think, as you heard Dave say, 60 million, and, and you know, that I've heard even higher numbers, to think that those children would not have made this place better. You have an inner soul that really is dark because in essence, what you're saying is nobody really matters. It's just, it's, it's, it's truly short-sighted and evil as far as I'm concerned. Thank you, Teresa, for the call. Yes, it is. You're I, welcome. I appreciate it. Will and Skokie. Hey, you doing, Sean? Very good. Um, one little, one little thing when, you know, you were mentioning before about opinion, when someone comes to you and says, well, I'm a 
but I'm not going to tell other people what to do. Uh, come back with them and say, well, personally, I'm against slavery, but I'm not going to tell anybody that they can't have a slave. It's exactly the same thing. It's, it's right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess to a certain extent it is. But this one is even more diabolical because yeah. even a slave to a certain extent has a chance at life. You are literally well, extinguishing. Yeah, but, but the slaves, the slaves that you had in, in slavery times, you could kill, you know? Yeah, but uh, that's true. Anyway. Thank you, Will. I appreciate it. But this is this is truly such a. When you think about 60 million, I'm, I'm still upset over the 60,000 boys we lost in Vietnam. I'm upset over the 4,800 we lost in Iraq and the tens of thousands that are destroyed. Why is no one upset over the millions upon millions that have been snatched from America's future? Greg and LaGrange. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. Maybe, maybe it's just me, Sean. Maybe it's, you know, you, can't, you can take the boy out of Berwyn, but you can't take the Berwyn out of the boy. That's been said before, yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah, but this is a fight I want to have. This is a fight I want to have between the Catholic Church and government. You're telling me that the Catholic Church will allow any any other archdiocese to tell their uh, to allow them the freedom to deny someone communion, but they won't deny the largest people on the biggest stage in the world communion because why? Because why? Oh yeah, because you're afraid. You're afraid to take on the fight. You're afraid no, they're to afraid to, to pay fight. taxes. Greg, they're afraid oh, to pay that. taxes. That's what this is all about. They will. I mean, I mean, you're talking about the richest organization company on the planet. No one can measure the wealth of the Catholic Church. And they are terrified that someone will realize they are nothing but a company selling BS in the name of virtue and grace and a connection to to religion and the Lord. You want it? You want it? You're not my number one thing. If I got elected, all of your churches. Guess what? Time to kick in. That's a money making operation, which is why I'll never run for anything or win. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate the call. Mark and Glenn Ellen. Oh yeah. Hey, Sean. You alluded to this in your opening about the Democrats. They tried to pass in this last legislative session in Illinois the, to repeal the notice of um, parental notice about abortion. I know they did. Oh, I know. And just think about the ramifications of that. That puts at-risk women and girls even in a worse position because their parents know nothing about what's going on. You know, government government has government has worked for decades to make it that, so that the parents and the children have a very fractured relationship. I I I mean it, it particularly the school system is is really this is a major goal of them. And now to think that they are telling young girls, you do not need your parents' permission to come in and kill their grandchild or your child. And yet, the, right. you know, it, it, and the outrage among Illinoisans is what? They elect more Democrats. That's why it's just a despicable state. I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you so much. Really, this is, this is exactly where this kind of law should exist. Joanne, hang on, we're going to get to you, and I've got three lines open, 312-642-5600. However, Joanne, you'll be the last call on this topic, as I have to move on before they hit me with that big wooden hook. I'll be back after this. It's a fantastic Friday. All right, last comment on the worst topic in talk radio. But that's okay, I think it's a, I think it's a conversation worth having. I think it's something that needs to happen especially when what we're facing is a normalization of, really, murder. Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hello. How are you? Sean, thank you so much for taking my call. <laughs> I just say amen, amen to everything you're saying. I am a professional. I am a clinical therapist, okay? My heart has been, for many, many years, crazy with pregnancy. I have loved ones that still cannot get over losing a child because they chose to abort. And I see both sides of these women doesn't make it right. It never makes it right. But the grief that these women go through and also the fathers of these children. I'll be honest with you. I am married a man who when he had a little 13, 14 year old little girl, he was 15. And the only thing they knew was, well, let's go get an abortion. And to this day, he is in his late 60s and he still grieves for that little child. And someday hopes to see. Sure. And I think the older you get, the older yeah. you get, the more the gravity of exactly what you did happen. Oh, absolutely. And you know what oh, has yeah. always absolutely. astonished me? when uh, I'll never forget this. When, uh, when uh, 
I want to get this. When when your wife is pregnant and they tell you about what could happen, uh-huh. and you hear all of the stories uh-huh. of, of the friends of of what happens, and and you know when we were pregnant, we were trying to get pregnant, and you hear of the miscarries, uh-huh. and you see what happens to these oh, women yeah. as they have miscarriages, uh-huh. and literally some yes. of them are never the same, or they're in counseling for years, and yet you have nothing provided except mm-hmm. unless the people reach out for the women who, in a moment of of, of weakness and upset or whatever the case is. Yes. When they're when they're juveniles who actually partake in killing their baby, what what do you think the mental ramifications of that is? And you see no real counseling, is, and, and you hear these politicians say about how it's a right. It just nauseates me. But thank you, Joanne. No, yeah. And please keep listening and tell your friends because after that segment, I'm losing listeners. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. But now we are going to move on to more. Democratic mayhem and failure. It's called Chicago. And things they are changing in Chicago. In fact, in neighborhoods that thought that they were too sophisticated and too highbrow and too expensive, we've got some real bad things happening. A man is fighting for his life after he was shot by suspects trying to steal his car. This happened right in the Gold Coast on Chestnut between Michigan. Chestnut? Chestnut? You think he said to the carjackers, you know what street you're on? This is uh, Chestnut in the Gold Coast. Avenue and Rush Street. NBC5's Lauren Petty joins us live from the Control Center with the latest. Lauren. Patrick, a really disturbing story. Another unsettling act of violence right in a very busy area just before 1030 last night. And now we've learned a 35-year-old man, he is in critical condition at Northwestern. We do have some cell phone video that was taken just moments after he was shot. In that video, you can hear those sirens as those first officers on the scene, they're working to help the man who is lying on the ground. He's distraught girlfriend can be seen being comforted by an officer. Police tell us that the victim and his girlfriend, they were just standing on the sidewalk right on Chestnut. A witness told us they appeared to be saying goodbye when a man confronted them. He had a gun. He demanded the victim hand over the keys to his car, and then suddenly the suspect shot him, hitting the 35-year-old man right in the neck. He again was rushed to Northwestern in critical condition. The victim's girlfriend, she was on the scene talking with police while detectives worked together. He gave the keys up. He shot him. He didn't have to shoot him. He already had the car. This is what's going on in the city of Chicago because we, as a society, have normalized it. None of it's normal. It wasn't normal 10 years ago. It wasn't normal when Spike Lee made the movie Chirac. So obvious we're a punchline in society. Yet what's the, what's the response from minority politicians and bureaucrats. My father died while my brother was in federal prison on a 17-year sentence. Mayor Lightfoot getting personal tonight. She takes. She better get personal. And she better make you sympathize with her stupidity. Now, I understand in the city of Chicago when you hire people for their genitalia or for their race, you're prepared to grade on a curve. That's implied. We no longer hire people on their ability to actually do things. Now it is a society that hires on genitalia and race and other sexual preferences. Fine. But at a certain level of incompetence and failure, shouldn't the very people who are being terrorized stand up and reject this kind of sophomoric, ridiculous response to the real failures of Lori Lightfoot and her Geppetto suit? her fight against violence directly to the west side. She revealed her own family struggles, as you heard there, while speaking outside the site of a mass shooting in Garfield Park. Nate Rogers is live there tonight with her commitment to ending the violence. Nate. That's right, Natalie and Dawn. In fact, tonight's event was not on Mayor Lightfoot or Superintendent Brown's public schedule. We got wind of it and literally just showed up. In fact, we were the only news outlet here. And I tell you, it was indeed a candid conversation about ending violence that continues to plague our city. It's going to be hard, but what makes it work is if we do it together. Yeah, that's. I mean, are you sick of the same pablum the same righteous indignation the same i'm just going to make it stop when the reality is they have no idea how to make it stop because we are living in a society that is is geared towards the perpetrators it's just the way it is the laws the penalties chicago itself the response the way in which they've attacked the police that are supposed to investigate and help what do you expect are you that sophomoric you didn't see this coming you're not going to stop anything and every week 
that the weather is nice and it doesn't rain, you're going to get numbers in the 50s, if you're lucky, not the 60s. That's just the fact. And Lori Lightfoot has no idea how to stop it. The politicians in charge, most of whom could probably go to the people and say, what do you know about this community? This is about gangs and drugs and money. And everybody knows who those guys are. Yet nobody wants to say anything because these neighborhoods are more interested or afraid, one or the other, in protecting the perpetrators than they have sympathy for the victims. That's just the fact. And as far as Lori Lightfoot and her, 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 her counsel and her prosecutor, Fox with that peanut head, what's the real penalty as you read the stories of what exactly happens to the gangbangers once caught? Released with ankle bracelets, round turns, a revolving door, no bail. The list goes on and on. And somehow they think the magic fairy is going to come down and it's going to make Chicago better. It isn't. It's only going to get progressively worse. And now what you should realize, it's going to be a nice weekend. I can remember my friends and I were just reflecting in the cigar store. Sitting outside on Rush Street, having a cigar, enjoying ourselves. City's a beautiful place. This is right around the corner from Rush Street. This is right around the corner. So do yourself a favor. Avoid it. Don't let your kids go. And don't go yourself because it is a hellhole. 312-642-5600, also known as a Democrat mafia. Chicago is so bad the Bears are going to buy the racetrack. Now it's nice. At least that's what it looks like. I'm surprised it took this long. I really am. You know, if you've got a billion-dollar company... I mean, it's not going to be long in this kind of year. These last two years, three years have been really atrocious. The crime has been just through the roof. The site of a gruesome early morning mass murder is now a neighborhood prayer ground. Those people in that home didn't deserve that. They wasn't gangbangers. Six out of seven shot in the head. And they're not gangbangers. Well, then what the hell happened here? They wasn't drug dealers. They were black citizens that was trying to live their black natural lives. Their lives and deaths are now marked with sidewalk candles and crosses bearing their names. Like Shermitria Williams, a 19-year-old mother who was supposed to graduate high school yesterday. We can't get her back. Yeah, welcome to reality. The mayhem this causes. What about all the kids that this, I mean, it's just... And your, your excuse is to go down there and talk about how your, what was it, her brother was in jail when the father died? Just ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. Dave and Lansing. Uh, hey, Sean. Um, I, I still, uh, you know, I still tried to yell Beetlejuice three times and the mayor didn't show up. I'm, I keep hoping. But, <laughs> you know, the Don't, look for, help. Don't look for help from me. You, you, you laid that egg. Now, now wear it. Go ahead. Okay. I, I, we could blame. I, I don't know why people on the south side and the west side don't see this. On, on a national level, the Democrats open the borders. One of the cities they go to is Chicago because it's such a sanctuary for them. So, what do you think they bring with crime? So, the, then the second thing is, on a state level, Pritzker shutting down most businesses, and that includes small businesses. Unemployment rises. Guess what goes up? Crime. Dave, here's then, the here's the, here's the other thing you better, they, that people better realize: when there is no consequence, when the crime goes virtually unpunished, when there, the real consequence is to the police officer that it oftentimes aggressively pursues the criminal. You're going to have a society right. where the trajectory is downward. Thank you, Dave, for the call, Joe and Dundee. Yeah, hey, uh, the Bears are moving out to the suburbs because of this reason. I don't think it's a bluff. Uh, you know, the mayor, uh, she's got a problem. First of all, <laughs> Grant Park, when you go around Soldier's Field, Soldier's Field, it, it, it's not in a great neighborhood to get through it. You're now seeing a, a, an uptick in carjackings where the best they can do is fudge the numbers rather than report the statistics. This guy gave the car key, take the car, shot him anyway. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, people mm-hmm. are going to say, hey, I'm not going downtown. I have, I have, uh, my kids are out of the state, but the scariest thing your kid could say to you is, I'm going downtown, Dad. I'm not kidding you. I don't care what part of the city, there is no good part anymore. There is no safe part. And the idea that they thought they could somehow contain this violence to the very ghettos that they built shows their ignorance and their inability to actually predict how bad their, their policies are.
Copy that. Yep. Right. See, Got you. it. I left you silent with my brilliance. Greg, Rogers Park. Hi. So on, uh, my thing is, is that, first of all, we've had all these entitlement programs and all these other extra spending that have these are investments. These are investments. You got to use the right term of the of the Marxist failure. Go ahead. No, I, well, I'm not a Marxist. <laughs> I'm as conservative as they come. I guess I don't even own a credit card, and I only pay for what I can afford. But here in Rogers Park, every day on Polina, they are giving out handouts of food, soaps, whatever they need, and there's no incentive for work. And then it's money we don't even have. We're spending stuff we don't have. The federal government gives us money they borrowed. The states in debt still, regardless of what. Pritzker says, and the city's in debt, and it's a, it's a, not only is our city bankrupt, but they're disincentivizing anyone to work or do anything decent, and all they do is sit in, they sit in there, they shack up, and then they go out and gangbang Every, all day. Everything's, it's, it's everything's for a reason, because what you do when you give a man everything is you take away his self-dignity. He earns nothing. That's right. This is something that, that history has proven itself for a thousand years. But, and but and yet, yet happen, you've you implemented know, this, because here's the thing. When people are dependent upon government, they will be loyal to it. So yeah. this is this is the trade-off. You're you're going to be loyal to your abuser when you've been told your whole life, or you haven't been given the tools to have self-dignity and build yourself out of the out of it legitimately. You're always going to need the Lori Lightfoots. After all, what's the best gig in Chicago if you grow up in one of these neighborhoods? What's the best gig you could hope for if you're not willing to become a drug dealer or a gangbanger to work for the city? Exactly. To work for the city, so it feeds on its own failure, and that's why it's diabolical, Greg. Thank you so much well, for the call. What happens when we go bankrupt? Where's the fallout then? We it's America, afford- baby. We can print money with a mouse. There's no such thing as bankrupt. Yeah, We've been bankrupt yeah, I- for 50 years, brother. Hardcore the last well, I know 20. That, but it's still not right. Of course not. Nothing's right. Last 20 years we've been bankrupt. As long as you can keep the American dollar as the world currency, you can print as much of this nonsense as you want. Sandra in Chicago. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, I think it's ironic that Lori Lightfoot declares racism a public health crisis yesterday. Yep. Um, after we've had three mass murders and shootings in the last nine days, black-on-black crime, and they're pushing systemic racism on me and on us. Black American callers calling to your show and to Larry Elder's show, uh, claiming racism from us, from whites. Are you kidding me right now? I've been. I, I, I've actually. I've actually been very lucky, very blessed, and, and 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 my listeners that are not Caucasian have called me and agreed with me for the most part. It's been something I've noticed for my whole life. Part, but I listen to your show every day, every huh. Monday through Friday. I listen to your show, and there's there's several people who call you and argue with you, and Larry Elder also that that, that claiming all this kind of racism. All we have is black on black crime. Sandra, constant black on black crime. I've got good news. I want you to hear this new, next clip because it, it, people do not think in unison. Everyone thinks that white people are this, black people are this. And I'm not saying you do, Sandra, but I want you to hear something that is inspiring. This is a black father of kids in a Chicago school, an Illinois school. When you talk about critical race theory, which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other. That's pretty much that's pretty much all Kevin said. It's pretty much what it's going to all come down to. You're going to deliberately teach kids? This white kid right here got it better than you because he white? You're going to perfectly tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down and suppressed. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? How do I get First of all, stand up. You've only got five minutes now. Two medical degrees. No mom, no dad in the house. Work my way through college. Sat there and hustle my butt off to get through college. You're going to tell me somebody that looked like all y'all white folks kept me from doing that? You- See, that's... What dignity sounds like. That's what self-respect and self-worth sounds like. Don't think that all people think the same. This kind of failure will be recognized by a large percentage of African-American voters. It will be. It has to be. They're the ones that are forced to live in the Democrat failure. I'll be back after this. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. lot of people but when i like them i really like them i've talked to ned before ned ryan is the author of a new book the adversaries and in this book ned focuses on to a certain extent 
one of my favorite, favorite founders. And I wanted to bring him on. Ned, how are you? I, I'm good, Sean, and, and I'm, I'm realizing that there is a real dedicated fan club for Dr. Joseph Warren, uh, who is the guy we're referring to, who, who Ronald Reagan, in his first inaugural address, described Joseph Warren as someone who might have been one of the greatest of the founding fathers. No question uh, about it, and the gutsiest. In those days leading to Bunker Hill. And he really was somebody who was... All of those things that we we think of when we think of somebody of honor and integrity and understanding and to a certain point, even a philosopher. And, uh, you know, he just came to that realization that we're going to have to fight for the Enlightenment. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, no, he was one of the first to understand. I mean, he he had been involved. He'd been a protege of Sam Adams. He'd been engaged probably 10 years before Bunker Hill. Right. So he'd been involved and and kind of been in in the flow of things. But he really accelerated into a leadership role those last nine or ten months before Bunker Hill, and he was absolutely one of the first ones to understand, truly to realize, England's not going to let us go freely. We're going to have to fight for it, and we better have a standing army. And he's the one that authored the Suffolk Resolve in September of 1774, which more people should actually read, Sean, because it really is, in many ways, kind of the, the theme and the basis for some of the ideas we find in the Declaration uh, of independence, but it's it's basically we have to protect our religious and, and civil liberties. We're going to have to fight. He, he calls for a standing militia in September of 1774. This document is sent with Paul Revere to the First Continental Congress, and they endorse it unanimously. And at that point, the British government starts to realize we've got a real problem on our hands because the, the colonies are uniting, and they viewed the Suffolk results that Warren authored that's really a, a, a act of rebellion and a move towards independence. And the reality is that I, uh, he was, they were called the adversaries. Is that something that you found out in your research, right? Is, is, wasn't that what he called himself? How did you come about the title of your book? It's, you, you know, I came, I, I came up with it because I really wanted to have, and, and in the book, it's, the adversaries are Dr. Joseph Warren and a young British officer by the name of Francis Lord Rodden, who was, who was English, uh, actually Irish nobility, and the conflict between their two worldviews and, and how it plays out over the course of those nine, ten months before Bunker Hill, Lexington and Concord, and all the way to the slopes of Reed's Hill. But, so they're kind of a microcosm. I played out the, the, the struggle between England and her colonies between Joseph Warren and, and Francis Lord Rodden. And kind of just highlight some of these differences of, you know, Warren was sitting there going, these ideas that we are planting our flag on are, are truly English ideas, right? They brought over the Magna Carta and the 1628 Petition of Right and the 1689 Bill of Rights, and they had the Charter of Massachusetts, all of which had either been passed by par- Parliament or assented to by the kings, English kings. And Warren and Adams and Hancock and Revere saying, our rights are stated very clearly in black and white. We view this as a contract with the mother country, but if you're going to change the contract, we'd like to have a conversation. And Parliament and the King's Minister's response was, we don't think so. You'll submit. We can change your charters and covenants on a whim, and if you don't submit, we'll send more regulars, more warships, more cannons, and if you don't peaceably uh, submit, we will force you to comply with military strength. And in fact, the way that they were forcing them up to that point would really brought them to the war. I don't think people understand how, how it was that only a third of Americans, only a third really wanted to, to fight the war. The other the other two thirds, it's like now 66 percent of society is completely useless. It was the same back then. But the real well, the reality is, weren't they? Well, actually, it was worse. Wasn't a third loyal to the king? Yeah, well, no, I was going to say, but but it, it, you do highlight a point. I mean, if you were to look at Boston in those last let's call it the last year before Bunker Hill, there were really five main organizers of the resistance. It was Joseph Warren, Sam Adams, John Hancock, Paul Revere, and Dr. Benjamin Church, who turns out to maybe not be quite as loyal as the other four thought. But it was a relatively small group of men that was organizing the resistance, not only in Boston, but across the colony of Massachusetts. And if you include you know, the provincial Congress members, it's still less than 300 men that are organizing resistance against what was considered one of the greatest, you know, empires in, in the world at the time. It's a pretty incredible story, but it's, it's kind of a story of, of history, right? A small group of people say, we're not going to do this anymore. And they stand up and they say, you know, we'd like to have a peaceful compromise, but if not, we'll fight. And isn't it always the straw that breaks the, the back and, and, and leads to violence is when law itself becomes the weapon used against? Oh, 
people? Perfect, perfect lead into my next point I was going to make. One of the things that I kind of discussed in this book, Sean, is rule of law. And the colonists felt that rule of law was making laws in harmony with natural, inherent, higher law, right? That, that God had, had laid out very clearly. We want to make laws in accordance to those. And for Parliament and the king's ministers, it was we make laws based off whatever influences, right? Whatever we say the laws are, those are what the laws are going to be, and then you're going to follow them, regardless if they might seem arbitrary or unjust to you. But that was the British idea. That was the ruling class's idea of rule of law, and it was completely divergent from how the colonists viewed what rule of law should be. And at a certain point, it really, they started realizing we're talking around each other. We can't agree on what the rule of law is. We can't agree on who actually has the right to govern. We can't agree on what rights, you know, everybody is entitled to. And at a certain point, if you can't agree on the fundamentals, and this is where they came to, words words stopped and, and musket balls started flying. Kind of reminds you of now, doesn't it? Well, I, I told my wife, I, I really, the spark to this was to really write about Dr. Joseph Warren. I've been doing a ton of research. Finally, really started getting serious about the writing in October. And then in January, right, January 6th, insurrection, sedition, you know, rule of law, all of these ideas. And, and it was interesting because I was literally halfway through writing the book. And so I wanted to explore these things because I knew they, that these guys back in the day, Warren and everybody else, had to wrestle with these ideas. What is sedition? What is insurrection? Because that's what the ruling class in England considered them. And what does it mean to, to be rebellious or to actually say, no, that what we are doing is lawful and what you are doing is not lawful? So it is kind of, it is interesting. Again, it's always fascinating to me how history kind of repeats itself. But again, I shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. because the more times change, human nature stays the same. I'd like to think in a country that was built upon these very principles that um, yeah, we would be losing, we would be less likely to end up there. However, as I'm living through this and I'm watching right. law become the weapon instead of the shield. And That's I realize right. that we are now being categorized. Joe Biden last week said that there are anti-government domestic terrorism is the greatest threat to this country. And I understand he's really talking about me. Yeah, no, he's talking about us. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, this is the, the, the ruling class in England viewed the colonists as backwards and regressive and a sinkhole of prejudice and hatred because they actually believe in covenants and charters and these weird ideas of natural rights. I mean, that's how the ruling class in England viewed the American colonists back in the day. And and you really sense that from a lot of ruling class people in D.C. these days that, you know, all your rights actually come from government. What is this talk of natural higher law? You know, this idea of, I would actually argue, Sean, that it's gotten so bad we're kind of living an illusion of a republic that we're really truly living the the progressive's dream of an administrative state statism. So I think we as American people in the 21st century, we really have to decide what do we actually believe about rights and what do we think the proper role of government is in our lives. And as you see so many conservatives or even libertarians to a certain extent, it's not it's not just people who voted, um, you know, for Republican their whole life. But as you see us continue to turn to law for help and as you see the so-called law, which are really now infiltrated by politics, there really is no such thing oh, as law. Absolutely. As you see them discount no, no, no. us and just say you don't have standing, you don't have this, you're just going to wear it. And as you see the arbitrary nature of taxes used against property of citizens, I mean, what's the under <laughs> over on how long this lasts? No, I mean, this is I'm sitting here in Loudoun County, Virginia, right? One of the epicenters for this critical race theory school board trying to shove it down our throats. A lot of us are starting to stand up and say, we don't think so. But you want to talk about something deeply egregious. 65% of our property taxes go towards the school board. It turns out to be about $1.4, billion is the annual budget for the school board here in Loudoun County. And they're looking at us and telling us basically to shut up. And I'm thinking, you're using my tax money to try and indoctrinate my children and their friends in deeply un-American Marxist ideas, and you think I should just sit here and be quiet? Are you crazy? I mean, it's, it's the death of common sense. That's, I think, one of the big things we're dealing with, Sean. Death of common sense. Nobody actually wants to have a rational thought, because if we actually had common sense and rational thought, everybody would start looking around going, none of this actually makes sense on any level. 
And, you know, I love reading about the, the founders. And I, I, this, you really did pick my favorite one. He's my favorite one. And as you realize that, that what he was really, in essence, arguing before the fighting started, and he was actually taken out very young, was he not? He, he, he had just six days before Bunker Hill, he turned 34. And as you see the, the argument that he, that group, the, the, the revolutionary warriors, won. And you see this country built upon these ideals and you see it last for 240 some odd years. And you now see that very there, there's at least half the country that are fighting for these principles. Yet the half that has is undermining us is in control of the levers of power. What is the this recourse is, I, that we have? So. So, first of all, I mean, let me say I, I, again, wrote this book because I think it does apply today because principled defiance in the face of overwhelming authoritarianism makes it a story for all time. So that's one of the reasons I wrote it, for people to be inspired to understand Warren and others actually experienced not, not a threat 3,000 miles away. But when he spoke at the Old South Meeting House on March 6, 1775, there were British officers feet, mere feet away from him. On the pulpit steps, literally had come if they thought he said a seditious word, and he knew this, right? Rumors had been going through that if he spoke anything deemed seditious, they were going to assassinate him in front of the 5,000 Bostonians. So dealing with and being unafraid, standing on principle and being unafraid in the face of very real and very present threats. But people keep asking me, how do we actually address this? Well, you know, Sean, I've been preaching this gospel for 13 years with American majority. Politics is policy. And I think too many conservatives have been enraptured with their ideas. I'm like, we've got great ideas. Now let me go back to my, my life, where religious zealots on the left who view politics as a religion have said, well, we're going to use the administrative state and politics to create a world and, and a country in a vision of our own making. We have to figure out what we really believe, and then we have to go into action. We have to decide. We're going to go run for school board. We're going to go run for city council, state house, state senate, congress. Because the only way we get back to normal, Sean, is for us to actually have political power and then beat the left into unconditional surrender. Period. I love it, Ned. Now you're in you're in uh, you're in Virginia. I am in Northern Virginia. Okay, so I have a real estate business in South Florida. When you come right. to your senses and want to be my neighbor, would you call me? It's called Liberty Real Estate Services because I need you. We're gonna we're gonna make Florida the reddest because unfortunately for me and you, we've lost in our states. But I want to tell you how thankful I am. For you, not just coming on my show, but for writing this book, I am so excited about it. I would really like one that's signed to your favorite radio interview host ever, but I will read my own. I can do that. All right. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for coming on and giving the people of Chicago, you know, some insight into into exactly how important these single efforts were by people who were discounted. And it's never too little too late. So thank you so much, Ned. That's right. I appreciate it, Sean. Again, I just encourage people, go grab a copy of The Adversaries. Go grab one on Amazon. It's really climbing through the rankings, and I think you'll enjoy the book. Thank you so much, Ned. I'm looking forward to getting to the end of it, and I'm looking forward for my free copy. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. (laughs) We'll be back with your calls and comments. 312-642-5600 after this. Let's put on you. 312-642-5600. This has been an argument that uh, I've kind of recognized years and years ago. When, when law, proposed law, and regulation become weapons of control in this country, in a country based on liberty, is it, is it legal? Or has it become a weapon of tyranny? I believe the latter. Regulations, and unfortunately we've been inundated, are treated like laws because we have such a bureaucracy in this country. And the bureaucracies are very, very heavily funded, and they are incentivized to control the citizens and take their money. That's it. The government has learned that if if their problems become your solution. You have to solve their problems, and you have very little say-so in it. So we have a a climate of of adversary versus a republic. So as I was talking to Ned and talking about exactly the kind of situations that get into, lead to violence and lead to war and lead to an uprising, 
it's because the people feel they cannot turn to their government for help anymore, that their government has become the abuser. We are unfortunately in that climate. It has been set for half a century, comfortably, I could say that, where politicians stopped representing people and started to figure out that what we really need to do is make them either feel good about funding our failures and our corruption or in a corner where they can't fight it anymore. The weapon that's been on the horizon and been bandied about for 50 years is climate change. Because that will be the weapon where you have no chance of arguing. That will be the excuse to set into place different fees and taxes and penalties for your very life itself. This is not an accident. This is something that has been really laid forward since Al Gore lost the presidency and figured out he could still become not only extremely rich, but extremely relevant. This is in between having his chakra aligned in massage parlors and hotel rooms. What Al Gore did 13 years ago was humiliate himself and embarrass himself. And now how did he do that? They had made predictions in the late 90s and early 2000s that they gave themselves, unfortunately, a time limit of 12 years. Nothing was happening. They doubled down in 2007, made the predictions even more. What had happened is that People figured out they were lying about the data and calling it science. Al Gore spoke to the Senate 13 years ago. I felt it's relevant because you mark my words, within the next three weeks, there will be a major push by eco-Nazis to seize your property. Here's what I think we should do. Number one, I think we should immediately freeze CO2 emissions in the United States of America. That's how CO2 became a pollutant. Everything he said at this hearing, Senate hearing, is exactly what took place in our lives. And then began a program of sharp reductions to reach at least 90% reductions by 2050. All of the complex formulas of how we might start reductions years from now and uh, have a little bit in the first year and a little bit more in the second year, I think we need to freeze it right now and then start the reductions. Secondly, I believe, and I know how difficult this is to contemplate, but I believe that we should start using the tax code to reduce taxes on employment and, and production and make up the difference with pollution taxes. And now that's what will be coming forward. The only difference is El Gore wanted to reduce taxes on production, that, that hasn't happened. That has increased. And it will continue to increase under the feeble, flaccid, fascist, and diapers, Joe Biden, and the rest of his Marxist cohorts. But what will happen in the very, very... It will happen this year. They cannot wait for the election where they could potentially lose more seats. What will happen this summer is taxes will be bantied about to control you for something you cannot cannot even measure yourselves. It will be for your breathing. It will be for different various pollutants. They will backdoor enact cap and trade. And they have to pay for this kind of spending. When a president puts forward a bill of $6 trillion in spending called a budget, and he hides specific taxation in, in now taking from that so-called middle class and lower class, they have to figure out a way to get everybody in this country to pay more taxes. This is the way. Principally CO2. Now, I fully understand that this uh, uh, is considered politically impossible. But part of our challenge is to expand the... It's not impossible. It's illegal in this country. And yet you have no one sticking up for you. 312-642-5600. Let's all go to the live. Let's go to the movie. It's time for Friday Features with Sean. Now, on with the show. Do you know, I was uh, thinking when we were um, talking about the book, that would be a great book. I would really, I mean, a great movie. Excuse me, did I say book? That would really be a movie worth saying. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie about Dr. Joseph Warren, but I have seen a couple of good movies this week. I actually saw... Liam Neeson in Marksman. Although I knew it was going to be a Liam Neeson movie, and he's getting a little long in the tooth to be an action hero, it really wasn't bad. And the show, zero, zero, zero. Surprisingly good. I also, Magic City. Did you ever watch Magic City, Keith? 
Oh, what the hell do you know? You watch it? It's really good. Did you not love it? Fantastic show. All right, now it's on to you people. David in Wheaton. Yeah, hi, Sean. Uh, there's a, a documentary that a Catholic priest had told me about. Really? And it, it's called, yeah, it's about Saul Alinsky. Um, it's called A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And well, I'm embarrassed talk- to tell you I've never seen it. And I've read a lot of Saul Alinsky stuff. I'm very familiar with that rat. Um, and I will yeah. tell you this. Does it does it touch upon the the way in which he was worth, at that time, millions of dollars? Well, it, it, well, it does talk about the way he infiltrated the, the church, too. I think that's why this Catholic priest was interested in it. And how the, how the Marxist socialist... Wolf in uh, sheep's clothing. The, the, Yes, it's it's it's, it's online. Uh, Saul Alinsky, a wolf in sheep's clothing. I am watching. It's actually, it. well done. It's compelling too. We just start, just watch the first few minutes of it. It, it. It's compelling. Did you know he died? And at the time, in the late sixties, I believe it was or seventies, a two million dollar home in Carmel, California. In Carmel. Did you know that? Uh, yes, I did. I think we might talk about it in here. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my favorite kind of Marxists, the self-enriching scumbags. Uh, at least that one yeah. didn't get to the White House. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got David. it. Oh, damn it. I hung up on David early. All right, let's go to Patrick in Schomburg. Hey, Sean. Love you. Love your show. Thank you, Patrick. Hey, uh, the Tiger Woods documentary was really enlightening about his uh, – There's two. it's a two-part series. So I did not see the whole thing. It was on. I watched like 25 to 30 minutes of it. I did not see the whole thing because, um, number one, I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan. Huge. I was since he was a little kid. Loved him. I hate the time period where he loses everything and gets hit in the mouth with a driver from the wife. Does does it cover that? (laughs) Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Or was it a two iron? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the hell it was, it was you know, a, you know. I think it was an iron. Yeah, I'm Norwegian. I'm half Norwegian, half Italian. I could have told him Norwegians don't take bad news well. There will be violence. So he should have <laughs> he saw that it coming. Down the driveway. At least she didn't use the family. At least she didn't use the family axe. It could have been worse. Thank you, Patrick. I love the call. Thank you. You know, I got an axe in the car. I got one. Sure, family Norwegian axe. Kent Aurora. Yeah, I got a movie about a doddering old fool who wends his way and stumbles his way into higher and higher echelons in society. It's my top the, five movies of all time. And the end of the movie, the Kingmakers are talking about making him president. It's one of and my... of course, it's Being There, yes. Being There is fantastic. Same comedian from Pink Panther, Peter Sellers, Dr... What was the movie he was in? Strange Dr. Love. Dr. Love. Dr. Strange Love. Ah, Strange Love. That's it. Wow, my, 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 my mind went blank. I couldn't believe that. Thank you so much, Kent. I appreciate it. Strange Love. That's a great movie for the weekend. Terry, Rogers Park. Hey, uh, a documentary called uh, Obsession, Radical Islam, The War Against the West. Well, that sounds like uh, a lighthearted one. Sure, I'll put that on in the morning. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll learn how and why the jihadists got so dangerous, and I hope Biden's uh, watching, keeping an eye on those jihadists. Well, are these the ones that he didn't um, um, try to fight the proxy war with Russia and arm him and his band of cohorts, the Democrat senators? I guess so. All right, Terry, thank you. See what I said. All right, come on, we'll go with Nick. Nick, how are you, Nick? Hey, how's it going, Sean? I love your show. Oh, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Hey, hey I live in Elmers. Um, you know, as far as a movie recommendation, you know, I was just kind of thinking, you know, there's so many good ones out there, but one that I, I, I don't know, I, I've always had troubles with is Wizard of Oz. And the reason I say that is because it's just a big old fantasy. You know, you want to wake up and think it's different. And I kind of think we're kind of stuck in the Wizard of Oz, you know, this, this oh, don't worry, things will get better. And and every time I wake up, it's uh it's the same. Well, it's interesting. You know? It's First of all, I love The Wizard of Oz. One of the great things about being a dad is don't, I was able to pretend it was for my kids. I love that movie. But um, as far as, as the climate we're living in, you do realize that the socialist is basically telling you a fairy tale. Their policies yeah. and their ideals yeah. have been proven wrong for a thousand years. A thousand years. Hardcore the last... 170. Whenever it's been tried, it leads to one place. Mayhem, disaster, destruction, 
hopelessness and the, and the collapse of a society. Yet you've got Democrats and numerous Republicans that are determined to implement socialist policies. So you are being told a lie in a fairy tale. Here's the difference. Normally when it's on the big screen, the people are not repulsive. They're somewhat attractive. As you look at the news today, find a politician or a political whore of any party that is not repulsive. I dare you. The hardest thing about the news isn't the statistics and the reality of the failure. It's that I have to look at people that are not good for my digestion. That's what I find despicable. So thank you. I appreciate the call, Nick. Good hey, luck. Sean, Sean. What, yes. Hey, I live in Elmhurst. Yes. Any chance I could... Uh... I have a cigar with you. Absolutely, brother. Just walk there. I'm there every day. Yes, and I tell I normally do this when I'm when I'm inviting a Marxist to come and fist fight me. This is a new experience for me. <laughs> I, I'm there in the morning from 1030 to 2, 114 West Park Avenue when I am stuck in the sewer of Illinois. For now, I also was going to sell it. And after the Biden sign, the guy ran away. So um, we're still um, exploring that avenue. But thank you. I will be there next week, I think. If I don't go to Florida, Sounds great. I'll see you there. Okay. Thank you. All right. Take okay. care. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bill, Northside. Hello, Sean. Yes, Bill. My man. How are you, brother? <laughs> the, there's just the, the greatest movie. It's in my top five now. Uh, it's called The Highwaymen. Uh, oh, Woody Harrelson. And it's with uh, Woody Harrelson, who I hate his politics. He is awesome in this movie. He's and, a great uh, actor. Uh, Kevin Costner. And it's about the original uh, Texas Rangers that were brought back um, after being uh, abolished uh, through politics uh, to catch Bonnie and Clyde. And it, it gets into the whole, you know, Bonnie and Clyde were the first high-tech criminals because uh, they had a V8 before uh, any of the police had. They were all driving sure. Fords. And that's before, and so that's before the unions away. infiltrated Ford, so the car actually ran. Yeah, I could say. Actually, I'm driving a Ford Explorer uh, Platinum. With oh, that really? One. Oh, you went with the Platinum, huh? Zero um, percent financing, yeah. oh, eighty-four yeah. months. How could you go wrong? <laughs> they should have hit a mechanic in your trunk. It's a shame, but the, you, I love the way they look. I'm going to be very honest with you. I love the way American you, cars look. It's just that I yeah. know there was a guy that was using his brake to get high and drink that came in and tightened those screws. I just mentally okay. can't conquer well, this, it. Is this, is this my call or is this your call? <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, you're right. It's your call. Go ahead. I appreciate it. Thank you, no, bro. I got I, I to sell people on this, on this movie, dude. Um, it's awesome. It's a, it's a period piece. It's done. And, and, and then the fact that uh, Bonnie and Clyde were treated as rock rock stars sure. uh, in all these small towns in, in Kansas and in uh, Iowa. It's, you got, everybody's got to watch this Bill, movie. It's, it's an excellent, and I, you, I give it my thumbs up. It's actually an excellent movie. I've seen it. Thank you very much for the call. We do have a full line. I also want to mention another movie that I saw. I think it's called The Little Things with Danzel Washington and that kid from Bohemian Rhapsody. Fantastic movie. All right, we got a break here, but let's go to Nick in Kenosha. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. How are you? Good. Uh, yeah, so I was calling about a documentary called Chasing Ghost. It's not actually what you'd think. It's about uh, the start of the intergalactic scoreboard uh, during the 80s for the arcade games. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And it's called Ch- Chasing Ghost, obviously, because Pac-Man was big. So, How about Tron? Do you remember Tron? I was a of hell of a Tron. I remember Tron. I was a hell of a Tron player. <laughs> Listen, Nick. Oh, did we? Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no thank problem, you for but... making me think of a better time. All right, I'm going to take the rest of your calls. I got to go to break. I'll take the rest of your calls. I have two lines open. 312-642-5600 when I get back. I want to be Are we on air? It's all right. Everyone should know. You make it look nice. It looks nice. Lee and Hammond, Indiana. Hey Sean. Hi, Lee. Hey, I see you guys. You guys mentioned the Wizard of Oz. You know, I remember reading in uh, G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Yes. That Frank Baum wrote that story back in like the 1890s. It was a critique of fractional banking at the time. That they were going to go ahead and print greenbacks and dump gold. Uh, the, the characters in the movie, like the Scarecrow, that didn't have a brain. That's because that, that was that was supposed to represent the farmers yeah. that were sold in, that were given a lot credit, lines of credit to actually drive themselves into bankruptcy. The cowardly line was the Congress that didn't have the heart to stop this scam that they knew it was. Uh-huh. And uh, the Tin Man was the industrialist that would just rusted it into place that really uh, were incapable of actually standing up to this scam. 
the, the yellow brick. What world year was that? Was what gold. year is that book, The Creature from Jekyll Island? Well, I, well the, the book originally I read that oh, it's got to be back in the eighties, yeah. maybe the late eighties, something like that. Because that was given but to actually, me by Frank somebody. Bob wrote that story back in the eighteen nineties. Oh no, I know. I saw. I, I if you remember, I was a couple of weeks ago. I, I recommended the documentary about his life story. He, that guy was had a really difficult life, and um, he had very. I mean, a tremendous amount of hardships and failure. Um, and then he wrote the most popular book that became the most popular movie. So it's really quite interesting. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate it. And I highly recommend The Creature from Jekyll Island. It is a fa- fascinating book. And um, it'll kind of give you a perspective of why we are where we are monetarily. It's very important. Frank, Elk Grove Village. Hey, Sean, I got a, a movie to recommend. It's a documentary called The Times of Harvey Milk. And it's not not the original one with Sean Penn, but the actual documentary. Really fascinating. I think you'd like it. I think you'd find it enlightening. I thought that, uh, and I, you know, I think Sean Penn is a hell of an actor. I, I, I watched the, the movie, and, you know, I, I, there were portions of the movie that were, you know, I disagreed with on some of the levels. But I thought it was a fantastic movie. I thought he did a fantastic job. So I'm, I'm going to... Uh, Take you up on it. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. Zed in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. How you doing, Zed? Pretty good, Sean. How are you doing? Wonderful. I'm very happy you're listening up there. I always love it when people from far away call me. How are I'm, you? Actually, I'm actually from the Chicago suburbs, so we got a place up here. Smart. Just um, stay up there until it's all over. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, you don't see many Biden flags up here. Almost all Trump. You don't see Biden stuff. You know, I drive a lot. And I drive to Florida yeah. a lot. I drive. You don't see a lot of Biden stuff outside very corrupted Democrat mafia areas. Is that it? At the end of the show? All right. I, Come on. Give me, give, me the, give me the movie. Hurry up. Okay, the movie is an old black and white movie from the 1950s. Never seen it before. And I'm a black and white movie. Hurry up. Hurry up. We're running out of time. Tennessee Johnson. Zed, we're losing you. I am so sorry, Nikki and Terry. But there's always next week. And I want you to have a good weekend. Be safe. You know how you be safe? When you hit the city limits, hang a U-turn. Go back to the suburbs. I had a great time. Have a great weekend. Happy Father's Day out there. She don't believe in shooting stars, but she believe in shoes.